we've been looking at God's story in Scripture. And we started at the beginning. We're in the beginning, God. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke and it was there. Just get your mind around that for a second. Out of nothing, God created everything. There was nothing and now there's everything. And when he had created it, he looked at it, he stopped, he rested on the seventh day, he ceased from his creating just to sit back and look at it and rest and say, it is very good. Yet as we've been talking the last couple weeks, that part of the story is great, but then you get into the second part of the story, the fall, and you realize there's an explanation for why our reality doesn't match with what God created. Our reality doesn't match the goodness and the harmony and the perfection that was there at the beginning. Because there was disobedience from Adam and Eve. God had given them one rule why they were in the garden, right? Not restrictive at all. Just one rule. Don't eat from that tree, but the rest is all yours. A huge, huge garden. More like a national park than a garden. Just one. Don't eat from that one. Show your love for me in that. Yet what do they do? They do what any one of us would have done. They go to the tree and they eat. And they sin. And in their disobedience, we saw last week the consequence of their disobedience. Consequences that you and I suffer to this day, both because of Adam and Eve's sin and because of our own sin. Consequences like death. Um, But more than that, consequences like hiding and guilt and fear and then shame. Pain and childbearing for women. Pain and labor for all of us in our work. Pain for Adam to sustain his family. They, they both in their relationship would desire to dominate and to rule over one another. And also as a result, as a consequence of their sin, they were cast out of the garden. And now not just Adam and Eve, but all of creation is subject to brokenness and decay and ruin. The storms, the flooding in South Carolina you've seen on the news this week, ultimately that's a result of our sin. That's not how God designed the world to function. Yet all of those things take place because of sin. Plural. We're all at fault. And everything's broken. Nothing works the way it's supposed to work. Yet the truth is, one day we know that that'll be restored. Those consequences will be reversed, right? By Jesus on the cross. And we talked about it last week. In the meantime, we have choices to make, right? We, we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. We choose to obey Jesus and we choose to obtain joy. Well, this morning we're going to see that a big part of that consequence is that we're left in a state of need. And we didn't really dive into this last week. We touched on it, but we didn't dive into it. And we're going to today that there's, there's a great void left because of our sin. That there's a great need in our souls and in our lives because of sin. And based on the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin, we're in a desperate state. We're going to look at five realms where we're in need. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, 
and morally. We're all in incredible need. And here's the thing that's tricky about this for us, because we live in a pretty incredible country. Would you agree to live in the United States of America? It's a pretty incredible place. And there's a lot of great things about living here and that we're in a God-graced country for sure. But there's one aspect of, of our ethic, especially in rural America, where all of us are, that really hinders us in this area. And that's this, that the independent streak that we all kind of have and that we have in our culture and the self-reliance that we all have. Now, some of those things are really good, right? Because we want people to be responsible. We want people to take responsibility for their actions and to work hard and to achieve uh, things, all that sort of stuff, right? But when taken to an extreme like anything else, subconsciously, whether you realize it or not, growing up in this country, it's affected your ability to convey your need, (laughs) to understand your need and to look for help for your need. Because the needs we're talking about today, they aren't ones where you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and fix it. Yet that's what we want to do because that's what we've been taught. That's the, that's the fabric of our society in North America is you, you got a problem, pull yourself up. You can fix it. What do you hear sometimes? You want to be great? Look with where, look where within just dig down deep. What do you got? Dig down deep. Well, on these needs, you know what? When you dig down deep, you know what you find? Nothing. You find a bottomless pit where there's no way to help yourself. You can't dig deep enough. And so with that in mind, let's look at some of these needs. Because the truth is, none of these needs, you can't do anything to satisfy these needs on your own. Here's how the story, where we left the story last week, was at the end of Genesis chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. The end of chapter 3, Therefore the Lord God, after he had addressed Adam and Eve in their sin, sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So that they wouldn't go back in their sinful state, eat from the tree of life, and be stuck that way forever. That wasn't God's heart. He wants to fix it. And earlier in verse 15, he had promised he was going to send a fix one day. But in the meantime, after being driven out of the garden, we're left in a, in a big state of need. And the first one is spiritually. We're for, our first need is spiritual. And here's what that need is spiritually. Every person needs to be reconciled to God and forgiven of sin that God's judgment is appeased. Every single one of us, loved ones, we face a spiritual need where we need to be reconciled to God and forgiven of our sin. What's it mean to be reconciled? Well, it means to have things made right. Well, where do we get a picture of where things were right? You get a picture of it in the garden, right? If we, if we back up in the story again, and you go back to the garden where there was perfect harmony and Adam and Eve walked and talked with God and perfect relationship and no shame, no guilt, no fear, nothing. Perfect relationship with God. And spiritually what happens is when they sin, 
It's like a knife just cuts right through and severs it all. And now there's this huge chasm between us and between God, and it's our sin. And that chasm keeps them from having perfect communication with him. And they need to be reconciled with him. And the reality is, you know what? They're the ones, we're the ones who have messed it up. God didn't change. We rebelled. And to be reconciled, something needs to happen to to take care of what we've done. If we're going to be reconciled to God. And part of that reconciliation then is... Sometimes you can reconcile with someone by maybe paying a fee, right? Oh, let's, you know, maybe just in a really simple, like, everyday way. You go out to dinner with some friends. And both of you, you know, you're going to split the dinner between maybe two or three of you. And uh, you get the check. One person pays. And maybe at the end of the night, I will settle up later. You know what that means? We'll reconcile later. We'll, we'll, We'll divvy it out and we'll both. And then so maybe you pay your $20 to for the $40 meal And you're reconciled, you're settled up, and it's all good. Well, with these sorts of needs, with this spiritual need, there's nothing we can do to settle up with God. Because that sin, that violation is so great, there's nothing we have in our pocketbook to pay that. There's nothing you can dig deep enough to restore that and to reconcile that. And if that's going to be reconciled, you know what needs to happen? Well, God's going to have to take care of it, and he's going to have to simply forgive us our debt. Again, back to the dinner illustration, you're out for dinner, and you get to the end of the night, and you reach in your wallet, and, oh, I don't have any money. And maybe the person with you says, don't worry about it. It's forgiven. I'll care for it. You don't owe me anything. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus Christ does on the cross, is he pays it all, and he says, you know what? You owe me nothing. Just be my friend. Just trust me. Just turn to me in faith. Spiritually, we're left with this great, great need to be reconciled to God. The reason you feel shame, the reason you feel guilt, is because you're guilty. It's because you should feel shame. It's part of our sin before a holy and perfect God. And there's a great need to be reconciled to him and forgiven by him. Or we face his judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He's he's God's ambassador. He's going to the churches and he's saying, repent, turn, be reconciled. See, that's the only thing you can do to be reconciled is to repent and say, Jesus, I trust what you've done for me on the cross. Repent, it simply means to turn. I turn around from trying to do it on my own and I turn to Jesus and say, thank you that you've done it. I'm helpless. I need you. And I repent and turn back to you. And so, just like Paul did to the church in Corinth, I I implore you on behalf of Christ, repent, be reconciled to God if you haven't been. Colossians 2, Paul writes, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. See, when we sin, we talked about this last week, Everybody's born once, right? 
And when you sin, in our sin, guess what else? Everybody's died. We're dead spiritually. Now the reality is that in your life, you're going to do one or the other one more time. You're going to be born physically and you're going to die physically. And then you're going to do one or the other one more time. You're either going to be born again to live forevermore or you're going to die again to stay in God's wrath forevermore. Born once, die twice and spend eternity in hell for your sin. Born twice, you only die once and you spend eternity with Jesus. Be reconciled to him. See, that's what Paul's talking about in Colossians. You were dead in your trespasses and God made you alive together with him. You were born again, forgiving all your trespasses. Jesus says in John chapter five, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. Born Born once physically, die once physically. If you're born again spiritually, Jesus says, not you will get eternal life. You have eternal life. You'll live forevermore. But if you don't have eternal life, guess what you get? You get eternal death. And you pay the penalty for your sin forever. But our need isn't just physical or isn't just spiritual. It's also physical. Physically, we suffer. Every person, we need freedom from the curse of physical suffering and death because that was one of the consequences of suffering physically. Everyone in this room, you've seen someone you love or you yourself has suffered physically in some way, shape, or form. You've seen death. You've seen how awful and miserable it is. You've watched people close to you, friends, family, parents, children, suffer And a lot of times when somebody who's a believer is suffering and they get to the end, and sometimes you ever get to that point, you just pray for them to pass so that their suffering would be no more. So that their physical suffering and death would be no more, that they'd be with Jesus forever. We need freedom from that curse. Genesis 2.16, the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of any tree in the garden, but if you eat of this one, verse 17, you will surely die. And the only way to have freedom from that death is life in Jesus Christ. Romans, Paul says, the wages of sin is death. It's what we earn for our sin. Just like you earn, I don't know, however much an hour at McDonald's flipping burgers, you earn death by sinning. It's the wage you, you earned, that I earned. I love the second half of that verse, though. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift. I can't do anything to earn it. I can't do anything to be reconciled to God. And I'm going to die physically. I'm going to suffer physically. But one day, Revelation tells us, there's a day coming. We'll get to it later in the story when we're with God forever where there's no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, no more crying, no more death. As we sing, what a day of rejoicing that will be, right? And it will be. But in the meantime, we're in need. Spiritually, physically, you need freedom from the curse of physical suffering, death. And three, emotionally, every person needs freedom from self-condemnation, guilt, and shame. Genesis chapter 3. 
It says, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed together loincloths out of fig leaves to cover themselves. For they're ashamed. We suffer and we have need emotionally. We condemn ourselves. We, we speak things that are true, but then we believe it, forgetting to believe the part about Jesus saying that we're made new. If you're a Christian and you condemn yourself spiritually over and over and over, I never get it right. I always screw up. I always have this guilt of this sin that's been dealt with in my past, coming up, messing with my head. It's, it's just always torturing me all the time. I have all this shame, all this guilt. I can't get rid of it. You need to start believing the truth and not the half-truth. Because the half-truth is, yeah, it, that, that's really condemning. And that's, that's a whole lot of guilt and a whole lot of shame. And the enemy would tell you over and over, see, because of that, psh, God's done with you. He wants nothing to do with you. You're done. And you need to turn to him in a sense and say, yeah, that's true, but... Jesus Christ paid the penalty for all of that on the cross. He bore that shame on the cross. He bore that guilt on the cross. He who was without sin became sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. And now I'm free. And yes, I sinned, but I was a sinner. Now I'm a saint. And I'm new and I'm clean. And some of you have met that reality. You know that reality that to be clean means to have this emotional need met is is to turn to Jesus Christ where you truly believe the truth that he has set you free and he has made you new and he has made you clean. Others of you need to claim that truth if you've trusted Christ and believe the truth and live in it and live from it. Some of you, though, have never trusted that truth and the reality is your self-condemnation and your guilt and your shame is rightly on you. It's rightly on you until you would hand it over to Jesus Christ. He offers to take it from you and bear it on the cross for you. But you gotta give it to him. And you need that meat, that you, you need that need dealt with. And it's only dealt with by Jesus. Psalm 51 is, is the account of David dealing with that guilt and shame after he sins and commits adultery with Bathsheba and then he murders her husband and covers it all up. And he pleads with God to forgive him. And it's a great sense of confession and he felt condemned and guilty and full of shame and rightly so. But he turned to Christ, he turned to God and God forgave him because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, which would be coming. And he would do the same with you. But your need isn't just spiritually and physically and emotionally. It's also relationally. Every person needs harmony restored with God, with each other, and with creation. You need harmony with, to be restored. You're in a state of need right now. 
of that, that harmony being restored with God. That harmony is restored with God through Jesus Christ. That harmony is restored in your relationships and in your friendships through Jesus Christ. Do you ever just wish that, I wish I didn't feel that way about that person, or I wish they didn't feel that way about me. But when I see him, I just get angry. And when I talk to him, I can't even talk without gritting my teeth. You need that harmony restored. And it comes by living like Jesus, by forgiving like Jesus forgives. And to forgive costs something, so it's really hard to forgive. For Jesus, it cost him his life. For you, what might it cost you? It might cost you revenge. It might cost you letting go of that hurt. It might, I don't know. But that restoration, ultimately, loved ones, it's only going to come through Jesus Christ working in and through you. And it's only going to come because of Jesus' work in you, reconciling you to the Father and forgiving you. And relationally, you need that harmony restored. Look at, look at Genesis chapter 4. Here's what happens right after the, the next account, after we, we hear of Adam and Eve being thrown out of the garden. We see the effects of the fall immediately. Now, Adam knew his wife, uh, meaning he had, had relations with her, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. Well, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. All of this is a result of the fall. All of this is their, their need coming forth. And relationally, things are clearly broken when brother kills brother, Right? And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. I'm not, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. He gets consequence for his choices as well. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment's greater than I can bear. Behold, you've since... Or you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. I won't read the rest of the story, but the point being that relational harmony is, is totally lost because of our sin. And we need it restored. In your marriage, you need harmony restored for your own sake and for the sake of your children and for the sake of the gospel. And it's only available to you through Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In other words, creation was messed up, not because creation wanted to be messed up, but because of Adam's sin, who messed it up. <laughs> That's what Paul's saying. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, one day... Creation itself is going to be restored. 
And when you plant a seed, it's going to grow. And when you pick a piece of fruit, it's going to taste good and not have a worm in it. And everything about creation will be restored. We, we have needs spiritually, emotionally, physically. Finally, we have needs morally. Every person needs deliverance from self-righteousness in trying to save ourselves to true righteousness and good works. First off, what's righteousness? What is it? What is righteousness? I hear that word a lot. You know, I grew up in the church. I hear that word from church people. It's a churchy word. What's it mean? Righteousness. Ultimately, it just means rightness. It it means uh, moral perfection. It means being straight. It means rightness is the best way to describe it, the easiest way to think of it. And and we need freedom from self-righteousness to true righteousness. What's self-righteousness? Well, self-righteousness is when I look at my life and realize it's not straight, but it's really crooked and messed up. And so I do everything I can to make it look straight or get it as straight as I can. I do everything I can to make it right. I help enough old ladies cross the street. I, I dress the right way. I get the right haircut. I, I take care of everything in the best way I can to make it look right, to make it look like I have rightness. Self-righteousness is righteousness we get from ourselves. And, and a lot of times it's comparing ourselves not to the straight line of God's righteousness, but to the crooked line of other people's. And so I look at other people and I say, I'm, I'm, I'm straighter than them. My line's a little straighter than that. It's got a big hook at the end, but it's, it's better than theirs. I mean, you know, things like uh, I do more good things than so-and-so does. Or the flip side of it, I do less bad things than they do. And that's self-righteousness. It's things we do, it's things we should do but don't do, and it's things we're just born into. It's our condition. We're born into sin because of Adam and Eve. And we see an example of self-righteousness right away in Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. We read this already. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Why did they sew together loincloths? Suddenly they knew they were naked and they felt shame. So what did they try to do? They tried to deal with their shame on their own. That's what self-righteousness does. It tries to deal with my need on my own. And it tries to to cover it up. It, It tries to make me feel better about myself. Even though I've got this nagging thing inside that says, you're not in line with God's straight, perfect line of righteousness. But on the flip side is true righteousness, God's righteousness. And true righteousness is that perfectly holy, perfect, straight, perfect rightness with no sin whatsoever. Philippians 3, Paul says that we are to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In Colossians Chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery. This mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
True righteousness is not something you do on your own. It's Christ in you. It's you being hidden in Christ. The truth of the matter is, loved ones, that your only hope for dealing with all of these needs that we have, that I have, is Jesus Christ. And you can try as you might, however hard you want to try. Pull yourself up from your bootstraps, pull them tight, pull hard. You're never going to do it. You're always going to be left with that void and realizing I don't measure up. And so then you're going to sow fig leaves to cover up to make yourself feel better and make it look like I measure up. You need Jesus Christ. Have I said it enough? You need Jesus. And the truth is, he's the one who will deal with you spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, morally. He's your only hope. Let me end with this story before we spend some time in song together. This was just in the Washington Post uh, last week. Lynn, I don't know if I'm going to say his name right. Lynn, Lynn Manuel Miranda received one of the most important phone calls of his life recently. And he received it three times in a row. Miranda, the creator and star of the Broadway musical Hamilton, was being called by an unknown phone number because he had just been awarded one of only 24 MacArthur Foundation fellowships, which are commonly referred to as genius grants. The grants, along with hefty sums of prize money, which is $625,000 given out in four installments over three years, I think, are awarded annually to some of America's most brilliant minds. And their only condition when they give out the money is that you just continue creating excellent things. Sounds like a pretty great grant to receive, doesn't it? So the phone keeps ringing. Well, here's his account of it, Miranda's account. He says, on the day of the call, however, Miranda chose not to answer the phone. I had had just broken up with the cable provider the day before, he writes, which is the best thing in the world. And he said, and I was like, oh, boy, they want me back. They just keep calling they, they want to get me back as a customer. So it rang once, I didn't answer. It rang again, I didn't answer. Finally, on the third ring, he picked up the phone with exasperation, only to hear the good news. And he finally heard the good news. Does that remind you of maybe anything else? The last three weeks, you've been hearing this reminder. You hear it every Sunday if you're here. Hey, the phone's ringing. As my pastor in Chicago would say, pick up the clue phone. Jesus is calling, and he's calling in a sense to say, you have no chance to deal with this on your own. And at some point, if you haven't, pick up the phone and turn to him in saving faith. It's an incredible offer of grace to you. And it's your only hope. Let me pray, and then we're going to spend some time in song and uh, to close our morning, okay? Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that, that he meets each of these needs. He meets my needs spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, and morally. That one day, because of Jesus' work on the cross and because of his resurrection, all of the things that I lack, I won't lack anymore. All of the sense of need that I feel and and know deeply in my heart and in my being will be gone No more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, but everything restored to the perfect harmony in which you originally created it all. And so, Father, I pray for those today who've never trusted Jesus Christ, that today might be the day 
like Lynn Manuel Miranda, that they'd pick up the phone and they'd receive the prize of your grace and they'd receive the offer of your goodness to them. And Father, for those of us who have trusted you, the truth is we're in this in-between time where we're still in a state of need. Help us to, to recognize that and turn to you continually over and over. Repent. As Martin Luther said, our lives are ones of continual repentance until the day, Jesus, when you come and fix it once and for all. And what a day that will be. We thank you for that. And uh, we give now to you out of that trust. And uh, we sing to you because of that, expressing our need to you. Father, we pray all this through Jesus, our Savior. Amen.